Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Elizabeth Kelly. She is a criminal defense lawyer with a nationwide practice specializing in representing people with mental disabilities. For people in my field who work with those with mental health issues and mental disabilities, she is an amazing resource. She is the editor of four books published by the American Bar Association that include representing people with mental disabilities, representing people with autism spectrum disorders, and these are guides for criminal defense lawyers. So her most recent book is particularly representative of the way she works with our population, and this one is called Representing People with Dementia, a Practical Guide for Criminal Defense Lawyers. She has a whole arm list of honors and associations that I won't read at this moment, but I do want to thank her very much for taking time out of her busy day, doing the work she does, and joining me. Well, thank thank you, you, Diana, and thank you for calling attention to this issue. You're welcome. So what prompted you to write this new book about representing people with dementia? What was the spur? The criminal justice system is going to be facing what I call a silver tsunami because of the aging prison population, as well as because of the growing population of first-time offenders who are older, who are only committing that criminal conduct because of their dementia. And and I should point out for your listeners, Diana, dementia is an umbrella term. And as you might learn in my book, there are approximately a dozen different kinds of dementia, some of which like FTD or frontal temporal dementia, afflict people as young as in their 40s, but the kind of dementia that is the most prevalent and that people use, quite frankly, synonymously with uh, dementia is Alzheimer's disorder. Right. So why the meld between criminal defense practice and yes, there's going to be this huge tsunami of people facing it, but it must complicate your work when somebody has one of these diagnoses that fall under oh, the umbrella of yes. dementia. Yes, we as a society have done a relatively good job in recent years of understanding brain development in the context of juvenile offenders. Now we need to move to the other end of the spectrum and we need to understand cognitive decline on the part of many older Americans. And that cognitive decline contributes to all kinds of potential criminal behavior, whether it's an elderly person walking into a dressing room at a department store, trying on a sweater, 
and just walking out with it or an older person who maybe just walks down the street of their neighborhood with their bathrobe undone and unfortunately small children see that. We also see older people who perhaps become frustrated because they're sort of trapped within their own selves and they may strike out violently. And we also see people who otherwise had led upstanding, morally upright lives, perhaps letting down their guard rails and engaging in some sort of inappropriate touching, perhaps with a minor. And what, what is so troubling to, to criminal defense lawyers is how do you represent this population? Because on the one hand, they, unlike other portions of the population who have perhaps a mental illness, and they might be, if you will, restored to competency to proceed, this population isn't going to get any better. In fact, they're probably going to get worse. And the metaphor that I always use is once they fall off the cliff, they're never coming back. Beyond that, if the attorney is able to get that person di diverted out of the criminal justice system, there aren't a lot of appropriate places for them. There is something very, very real called caregiver trauma and the and families are often in a very very difficult position in terms of basically monitoring their loved one 24/7 and in terms of facilities it may very well be that depending upon their admissions criteria they won't take someone who maybe has a pending criminal charge or even a prior criminal charge, but it might have been for a sexually oriented offense. So it's it's a conundrum all the way around. And I also want to touch very, very briefly about our aging prison population. Because as a society, a number of years ago, we moved towards three strikes and you're out incarceration. We moved towards mandatory sentencing and our prison population is just getting older. So not only do those people require more physical care, but they require other types of care. And if you will, a communal setting is not the best place for them because they may not follow rules like they used to. They may have very poor personal hygiene. They, they are, are disruptive. And, and people who works, work in our jails and our prisons are just that. They are correctional officers. They, are, they did not sign up to work in nursing homes or assisted living centers. So are prisons failing miserably on addressing dementia in our elder population within their inmates? Well, they're not necessarily failing more miserably at that than they're failing more miserably at anything else. Uh, 
Um, you know me well enough to know that I firmly believe that we should not be criminalizing people who manifest the symptoms of their mental disabilities. And jails and prisons are 99% of the time the worst place in the world for them. But beyond that, if, if someone with dementia begins to act out in prison, they may, the, 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 the staff may not understand why. Other inmates may take advantage of them. And it's, it's just not the best place for them. On the other hand, it may be that if they are released into the community, they no longer have the support system. That, that they might have. So this is something that jail and prison authorities are going to have to confront more and more in the coming years. For instance, there is one facility within the Federal Bureau of Prisons or BOP that um, does have a very relatively good memory care unit. But the last I knew, their, their limit was 35 individuals. And that is woefully inadequate to service the entire United States federal population. 35 beds. 35. There that may might. be there may there may, may be more facilities in the offing. There may be more openings in the offing, but none nonetheless, I use that term silver tsunami deliberately because mm -hmm. it's coming and we need to prepare. Right. And 35 beds or even doubling that, 70 beds is not going to address that. We want to keep them out of the system. We want to keep them to the extent possible out of the criminal justice system and keep them into a mental health system. What do families do to, what precautions can they take so that that is not the outcome? Yeah, and it all depends on what the person is diagnosed with, when they are diagnosed, and, and what they're charged with. So in the best of all possible worlds, a family contacts me or another attorney before the worst happens. And they say, grandpa's wandering down the street with his bathrobe undone. Or grandma walked into to Macy's the other day, tried on a jacket and left without paying. And at that point in time, you can say, you know, where, where are you living? Can you get into some sort of assisted living center? Can, is there a memory care unit? What are the support systems that your family has in place to monitor your loved one basically 24 seven? Are they still driving? Should they be allowed to drive? What happens on that one day when, when your great uncle is driving home from the grocery store, a route he has taken for 50 years, and all of a sudden he gets lost and maybe it's dark 
and maybe he's he gets lost in a neighborhood that is is rather problematic. Um, these are the sorts of, of preventative measures that a family needs to be aware of, and they also need to contemplate what might happen. On the other hand, even if someone is charged with an offense and the offense is seriously reduced, if that person is put on probation, it could be that the probation is just not effective. Um, someone is going to have to drive them to their probation appointments um, if that person can no longer drive. If group therapy is ordered, that person may not be able to meaningfully participate in, in the group, group discussions. Um, Everything needs to be individually tailored, but in every single instance, the family needs to be vigilant to the signs and signals of, of a decline. And that requires not only vigilance on their part, but meeting regularly with a treating psychologist or psychiatrist and also periodically getting neuroimaging. Um, not any one fact will definitively prove a diagnosis, but nonetheless, there needs to be evidence of a decline and signals as to what may lie ahead. So what I'm hearing is that families just can't put their head in the sand that dad is getting quirky because no, no. dad's getting quirky may really run afoul of the law. Exactly, exactly. And it's like any case where um, a loved one has a mental disability. On the one hand, the family needs to face reality. Most of the times, uh, it is going to be a lifelong condition. In the case of dementia, it's probably going to get worse. But at the same time, the family, the caregiver cannot and should not blame themselves. And as I, I earlier used the term caregiver trauma, that is very, very real and no single individual should be responsible. That individual should have a network of support insofar as possible. And are there community supports in our country that are adequate in this system? Do we have enough out there? Well, yes and no. Part of it, part of it is a question of access. Um, a busy caregiver may not have time to reach out to a local support group or even get themselves the type of, of counseling or even an outlet um, that, that would improve the situation, whether it's talking to a priest, a rabbi, a minister, um, having a personal therapist, what have you. And also it depends upon where the person lives. 
And finally, um, and many of your listeners can probably attest to this, there is a stigma. Although I will say that sadly, with the growing incidence of dementia in, in this country, more and more people understand because more families have been touched. Absolutely. This is an issue when you talk about a silver tsunami in a prison system, we're going to be facing the silver tsunami nationally. What do we do with our aging population of baby boomers who are living longer, who may or may not be experiencing more symptoms of dementia in a variety of ways, and we don't have the resources as I understand them nationally to address this tsunami coming. And, and part of it is hesitancy on our part. So just naturally, as part of the aging process, our memories are not always quite what they used to be, but, but there is a distinct difference between the early signs and signals of say Alzheimer's and just growing a little bit forgetful. And, and I should add a disclaimer here, not everyone who gets older is going to suffer from, from Alzheimer's. Absolutely not. Some of the sharpest people I know are in their high 90s. They can run intellectual circles around me. It's not a given. But uh, um, people should be vigilant. And at the same time, um, it also requires sensitivity to, to not necessarily confront the person, but to recognize that something out of the ordinary is, is happening. And to be able to say, I have some concerns about this. It isn't a confrontation, but there is a loving way to say, I've noticed you may need more help with certain things. Can I be that person? Yeah. Is there somebody else who can be helpful? I, one of the saddest courtroom experiences I ever witnessed happened many, many years ago when an older gentleman had gotten into a relatively serious car accident. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but property was damaged. And in exchange for basically dismissing all of the charges, he had to relinquish his license. And it was just very sad to see the loss of his independence, the loss of his dignity. And we have to be able to be reckoning with promoting agency, promoting agility to the extent possible, regardless of a diagnosis. Families taking these diagnoses into account or looking at the red flags as they develop and developing this plan as you're talking about taking into account that the criminal justice system is not necessarily a resource for housing our people. And in the meantime, the, 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 the criminal defense lawyer is unfortunately constrained by a lot of the definitions, a lot of the procedures that are in the legal system. So the family using the lay term may just say, 
My mother is not competent to go to trial. My uncle is not competent to enter a plea. Um, but that may or may not require um, a formal evaluation to submit to the court. For the case of thoroughness, I would think it would. But at that point in time, most jurisdictions would would order that that person be, quote unquote, restored to competency. Well, as I said earlier, that person cannot be restored. Yes, his or her behavior can probably be managed through through proper monitoring and and other things in place to to assist him or her but they're never going to be restored and then if the charges are not completely uh, dismissed what do you do with that person in order to ensure that they not reoffend and also that the community is 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 safe Mm -hmm. And so caring about you, them and the community at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And if unfortunately you have a sexually oriented offense, um, there there may very well be a victim out mm -hmm. there who, notwithstanding the 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 decline that the person is manifesting, really wants some sort of punishment or can point to the trauma that this may or may not have caused on their uh, in their lives and also again depending upon the jurisdiction the prosecutor may be an elected official the judge may be an elected official yeah. and they may very well recognize the disability of whatever nature, but they may still be very much of the mind that that person must and should be held accountable. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate your clarity about this. I appreciate your compassion for families who are going to be struggling with this if they aren't currently, and your wisdom about how to remain proactive so that we can avoid the criminal justice system when we're dealing with mental health issues. Thank you, Elizabeth Kelly. Well, thank you again for calling a spotlight to this issue and for all the good work that the O'Connor Professional Group does. Thank you. appreciate that. For you listeners, if you've liked this episode and any other, please like us on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.